0: Welcome to the Living Room Podcast. The Living Room is the college ministry of Buckhead Church in Atlanta, Georgia. For more information, you can check out the Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy this talk.
1: So without further ado, can you help me welcome to the stage as they bring up their chairs? TLR, staff, family. Come on. Y'all get up here. Woo! Tariq carrying two chairs. That's what I'm talking about, Reek. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. TLR staff, fam, welcome to the stage. This is amazing. And uh, man, I'm so excited for, for this conversation. We are placing these chairs in the right. We have like tape where you need to put these chairs and this is how you know you have a great team. They, they did it right. That's amazing. Tyreek, take a seat, brother. That jacket, by the way. Thank you, man, how much I gotta pay you for that? Oh uh, no, It's not for sale. Okay, that's cool. Um, Well hey listen, uh, this is the living room staff and I would love really quick for y'all just to kinda go around and we'll start on that end um, down there with my guy and uh, I don't wanna say your name because then you won't be able to say your name but tell me uh, your name and uh, why don't you say what you do here at the living room and maybe like the stage of life, season of life you're currently in. So name what you do here at TLR, season of life you're currently in,
2: starting down
1: there. What's up everybody?
2: Awesome. Boom. Y'all can tell I ain't been on stage. <laughs> um, my name's Will. Uh, Let's go. <laughs> it's my boy Shane. Um, uh, I'm an intern here at the living room with Campus Engagement and stage of life I'm in. Been married for nine months. Come on. Y'all, married life is what's up. Like, if anybody told you different, they lied. Promise. Um, yeah, that's me.
0: Hello, I'm Lindsay, um, and hi, um, I am on staff here, I'm our female groups director, and I love it, it's awesome, and the stage of life I'm in, um, my husband Connor, who's a small group leader here, and I, yeah, shout out to Connor, Um, we've been married, this July will be four years, so yeah, and as you learned earlier, we're proud parents to our cat Ellie, so
3: Hey guys, I'm Bree. Oh, okay. awesome. <laughs> uh, um, I'm the guest services intern here, and uh, I guess stage of life. I'm a sophomore at Georgia State.
4: Hey, um, my name is Braden. I'm also an intern here, and I do <laughs> uh, I do uh, social media content, and I'm a sophomore at Georgia State. <laughs> <laughs>
5: my name is Peyton. I I appreciate that. Thanks. Um, I am the college ministry coordinator. Um, So shout out to all the guest services volunteers, the people that make you feel welcome the moment you get here from parking um, or loading off the shuttles and getting a hot meal every week with a smiling face on the other end. Um, So I have the privilege of getting to work with them um, I have lived in Atlanta for about two years. My husband and I live in Brookhaven. Um, we have one furry child, a fat orange cat named Clayton, mm-hmm. for anyone who's cat people. Um, but then we also will have a human child coming oh,
4: <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
5: So for anyone that thought I might have eaten three pizzas tonight myself, it's just a food be- it's a human belly, not a food belly, so I just wanted to <laughs> clarify.) <That's great.
6: laughs> Uh, my name is Tyreek Wesley. How y'all doing? Um, I am the guys or males groups director here in Stage of Life. I've been married nine years this year. Yep. And I have uh, two kids, Tyson and Jordan. Tyson is six, and Jordan is four.
1: And they're amazing. That's amazing. Well, uh, man, I love this team, and I'm so excited for you to hear from them. And... This is a great team. I think that's what you said. Yeah, I'm with you. Hey, listen, there are three goals that we have for this conversation tonight, three things that we've been praying. The first is this, is that everyone has a story and your story matters. The second is that no season in life is wasted. Sometimes it can feel like as you're going through a waiting season that it's a wasted season, but no season is wasted. And the third is this, is that God is always at work. And I think you're gonna hear all three of those things ring loud and true through these stories tonight. So Will, I wanna start with you. Um, Talk a little bit about what life was like growing up for you.
2: Yeah, yeah, so um, I'm from Stone Mountain. Yeah, shout out to y'all. It ain't too many of us. I'm the second oldest um, of four boys. I'm also the runt of the litter, believe it or not. You're
1: also the smallest of the four yeah, boys, like, which
2: is crazy. I'm the smallest by a long shot. But you're not small. Right. Yeah. You, you, um. Yeah. My parents, um, one's from India, my dad's from Indiana, my mom's from North Carolina. Um, my mom had her leg amputated when I was two. Um, my dad, is also physically handicapped. He got in a car accident when I was in second or third grade. Um, and after some failed back surgeries, it, it, he just had like a long list of problems that came up. So we essentially grew up like taking care of the family as kids, um, cooking, cleaning, running errands when we could drive. If we could walk, mom was sending us out the house. Um, it was hard. You know, I had to grow up fast, had to realize like I got two little brothers, and it was times where. My mom would be out of commission for days and we just have to survive. Um, but there was also fun parts, like if my mom would tell us to clean up when we we're downstairs playing video games, we knew if she when she put her leg on it would click and you could hear the click. So like, so like so like if, if you don't hear the click, you're straight. But once it everybody's like, go, 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 clean up, cut the game off, cut the game off. So, we we got cheat codes that other people didn't get because other parents just sneak up on their kids. Sure. Like, I caught you, you're supposed to clean up. But, you know, we had a little go ahead. I didn't yeah, know you were
1: was... about to say
2: that, Will. That got me. Um,
1: so, Will, this was just life as you knew it. Like, had to grow up quick, had to cook, had to take care of the family, sometimes even take care of your parents, like, make sure they're good. When did you really realize that, oh, this is unique? Like, I'm walking through some unique circumstances that a lot of my other friends maybe aren't walking through, when did it kind of click for you? Was there like a story or a moment where you're like, oh, this is different?
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, Well, like you said, we just kind of grew up thinking that was life. Like once your parents hit 45, 50, that they're just kind of out of commission, that they take a lot of medicine, that they hurt a lot. But my friend from, my best friend from fifth grade, um, I went to New York with his family and we were at a cookout in a park and I remember all the parents lined up to, to race and so, you know, to me, it's like they're not about to be fast. Like none of them faster than me. I'm young <laughs> and they take off. And in the moment, I was like, wow, parents are like my parents aren't necessarily the, the status quo. Like something's different about us, you know. Um, and I think it was just kind of a realization from that point of we have a unique situation. Yeah. 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 Wow. LT, what was life
1: like growing up for you?
0: Yeah, so I grew up in Dalton, Georgia. Anybody know where that is? Carpet capital of the world? Are you from Dalton? Okay, that's close. We'll talk after. That's awesome. I don't know many people from Dalton. Um, uh, my parents, you know, I love them. They're awesome. And my older sister, uh, just she's three years older than me, and she's really been in so many ways, my role model growing up, I just always wanted to be like her. And she was like, leave me alone, Lindsay, you're annoying. But um, I'm just kidding. Um, we're really tight now. But um, yeah, so it was great. Um, I I loved, you know, my childhood. It was awesome. But I, I started developing um, a pretty false belief uh, surrounded by anxiety that other people's feelings or well-being were dependent on me and my actions. And so at a really, really young age, I really grasped on to that belief um, just because a couple things happened and, you know, my brain just went wandering. And I just really did believe that other people's safety, well-being, all of that was dependent on me. Um, And that created some really severe, severe anxiety. And as a kid, you don't really, you don't have words to put around that. You're just like, Why am I scared? Why am I thinking of these terrible scenarios that could happen? And developed some sort of, within that anxiety, some OCD kind of tendencies. Um, And my sister and I were homeschooled um, until I I got to eighth grade. So I also wasn't around people to, like, necessarily process that with. And, um, like, I did sports and stuff, but you're not going to, like, talk to your friends on the basketball team about, you know, your, like, OCD tendencies because you're, like, little and you don't know. So, yeah, that's kind of what my childhood was like.
1: Bree, um where are you from? What was life like growing up?
3: Um I'm from Miami. Hey. And
1: <laughs> Hey.
3: Um growing up it was it was my mom, my nana, my aunt, two cousins, and before this after this was my little sister and we grew up in like old oh, two bedroom apartment. It was like six of us. And too many people in a two-bedroom apartment with one bathroom. Um, so it was fun because you lived in Miami. It was summer all the time, but it was just definitely tough having so many bodies in a small place.
1: Yeah, and Brie, I know that um, your mom and dad, when they had you um, about a, at, at a year old, they they split up. The relationship ended, and then you would you would go to your dad's side on the weekends, right? Tell me about that.
3: Yeah. Um, so my parents dated before. Before I came along, because that's kind of how I got here. And then... <laughs> and so after that, they broke up like a year after I was born. So my mom would always, on Saturdays, I would get dropped off to my dad's barber shop, And I would get my hair done. He would do my hair. And then we would always go across the street to this um, Dunkin' Donuts. And we would get, every single time, I would get this white sprinkled donut. And that's the only donut I eat from Dunkin' Donuts, because the rest is trash. And that was just be that was just like our routine. And then I would spend the weekend with his family. Um, my grandma is from the island, so we would, she would have her music on at like 7 o'clock in the morning, cleaning. And then every Sunday morning, we were up and early and ready to go to church. And my grandpa would always bring Krispy Kreme donuts every Sunday morning. And that was like our routine. Every
1: That's, time awesome. I went That's awesome. Peyton, how about you? What was life like growing up? Yeah, so
5: I'm from Birmingham, Alabama, about two and a half hours over. Um, For anyone not familiar, I grew up in Homewood. Um, I had a great childhood, I would say. I have a very loving family. I have the best mom in the world. She's here tonight. Yes, she is. Shout Mm -hmm. out to Amy. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I grew up very close to my family. Um, I'm an only child, but was super close to my cousins. Didn't really ever necessarily feel lonely growing up. Um, my family was super involved in the church, and so church was definitely a very comfortable and a very homey place for me. Um, and so I would say overall, it was pretty good. Mm.
1: And Peyton, I know around tenth grade, sophomore year of high school, um, things kind of shifted for you. What what happened that year?
5: Yeah, so when I was a sophomore, I think things um, between my parents had kind of been brewing for a little bit. But sophomore year of my high school. Um, they, it came out that there was infidelity um, and they started the divorce process. And so that was kind of a grueling two years. It um, definitely affected life and kind of flipped it upside down for me. Um, We had been really involved in the church. Um, My dad was a deacon. My dad and mom were super involved in Sunday school leading it, we were part of VBS, all the things for church, and um, when everything came out about the infidelity, it's obviously something that, you know, my dad could no longer assume a lot of those positions um, because he was in a really dark place, and so um, it flipped life upside down, obviously, and I think it started affecting my relationships with really everybody. Um, Obviously my mom and my dad, some, um, and the rest of my family, my friends, um, different boyfriends and things like that. Um, And so it obviously made it hard to trust people and kind of started on that path, which led to some bad decisions, which I know I'll get to in a little bit, but yeah, yeah, that's kind of a little snippet of what happened. Everything
1: as you knew it kind of got flipped upside down. I know around the age of seven you woke up one morning, typical day in Miami, everything's going great. I'm sure the weather is 80 and perfect, because that's Miami. And you look outside your window and you see a big truck in the driveway, and you're like, what in the world is that? What what happens next?
3: Yeah, um, so woke up and it was a big U-Haul truck, and my mom was just like, Yeah, we're moving to Georgia. And no one told me, like, there was, like, talks about it happening, but no one was like, hey, Brie, we're going to move. I woke up, and it was like, so your stuff needs to be packed on this truck because by tonight we need to be in Georgia. So that, my life did a complete 180. I, le- I went from 80-degree rather flip-flops to living in 15-degree rudder Georgia where, like, no human should be here. And... <laughs> And it was just a complete flip. My, uh, I went from living in like homes in Miami and apartments, my family being together, to like living in Georgia and living in like hotels and moving around constantly. And it was just, it, it was just a flip.
1: Wow. Uh, last week, Tyreek talked about how following Jesus will cost you something. Brayden, I know in high school um, we talked, and you said that you did your best to follow Jesus. Um, but at times that would lead you to not participate in certain things, to make certain decisions. And I would imagine that was pretty tough for you. Kind of tell me more about this. What was high school like for you?
4: Yeah, so um, in high school, I played football, and um, that that you know, gave me a lot of friends on the team. And as well, I'd like to say that um, I knew a good amount of people at the school too. And so um, being like in that in that kind of realm uh, put me in lots of situations where, there would be opportunities to uh, do things such as, you know, like go out on the weekends or uh, just make choices that would like conflict with what I knew to be to be true. And um, so, al- along with that, it just it was it was very difficult.
1: Yeah. So, do you feel like making those decisions? Like, did that cost you anything? Like, it, I would imagine it would have been just easier to kind of follow the crowd. Do what everyone else seemed to be doing um, throughout high school. Do you? What do you feel like that costed you, or what? What happened as a result of that?
4: Yeah. So um, I would say that um, because of that, um, a lot of labels were placed on me, um, and these these weren't labels that I felt like were were true either. Um, and so, al- along with me not making certain choices, I was um, labeled as like judgmental or like. Mm-hmm. I felt like I was better than everyone else, but really, I was just trying to, you know, do 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 my thing and follow, and follow Jesus. Jesus. Yeah.
1: wow. Tariq, um, you have an amazing wife named Shakira, um, and I would love to just hear how like y'all met, met, and then what was the relationship like? Like as you guys progressed, you set some boundaries. What was that like? Tell me a little bit about that.
6: Yeah. So we met in college. Uh, I was in Morehouse. She was at Clark. And We actually met at this like Christian conference thing for college students, something similar to this, right? Yeah. My homeboy knew her, I did not. so he introduced me to her when I first saw her. I was like, yo, who is that? (laughs) And I told my homeboy, this is a true story now, he can vouch for me. Uh, I told my homeboy when she walked away, I was like, yo, she gonna be my girl and don't even know it yet. (laughs) And I didn't talk, I felt like it was prophetic. I don't know where it came from. We married with two kids now, so I mean, it came true. Um, So anyway, uh, so we met there, we exchanged numbers, we dated all through college. And I think our relationship worked because we had a clear vision of what we wanted. Like, we both wanted to have kids, and we both wanted families, and we both wanted marriage to look a certain way. And we knew we didn't want to bring in a bunch of baggage in our marriage. And so there were certain decisions that we made and certain boundaries that we had for each other that we just weren't going to cross. And so for us, like, we waited till we were married to have sex, like, all that kind of stuff, because we just wanted to go into it as... I don't want to say pure because that's not the right word, but just making sure we were as clear-minded as possible um, because that can definitely cloud your judgment, right? Hey, excuse me. And so that was one of the things that just, I think, set us up well to having a healthy marriage.
1: So y'all set these boundaries, like you're really trying to honor God in your relationship, trying to do it right. And then you get married, and um, you're married for a couple of years, right? And then you start talking about having kids. You Shakira gets pregnant with your first, with your son. Yep. And you mentioned this last week in your talk, but um, both of your children, Tyson and Jordan, um, your son and your daughter, both have sickle cell. So when you found that out, what was that like? And since then, like, how have you processed that?
6: Yeah, it was devastating. Like we knew, so if you're unfamiliar with sickle cell, it is a blood disorder where your red blood cells are shaped like sickles, like crescent moon, and a crescent moon, and it doesn't carry oxygen as fluidly through your bodies, and they get stuck. And when they get stuck together, they cause severe pain anywhere in their bodies, right? And so I had the trait, my wife had the trait, and we knew that there was... Um, a chance that our kids could have it. But when I tell y'all, we just knew that that wasn't going to be our story. Like We were praying. We just knew that that wasn't going to be the case. And so for Tyson to be born and that phone call to come saying he had sickle cell, it was devastating. And then 17 months later, um, when Jordan was born and we got that same phone call, it was like, well, what's the point of anything, right? Like we were so angry and upset and hurt. Um, And I think it shifted everything for us, right? Like to be in a relationship where you try to honor God in your relationship and you feel like, yo, you owe me. And for it to not come through, it was just really heartbreaking. And I remember last year, I finally went to counseling about it because I didn't understand I never dealt with emotionally how having two kids with sickle cell affected me emotionally. And I remember I went to the counselor's office and I just unloaded. I was just like, man, this isn't fair, like all this other stuff, right? And when I got done talking, like I'm crying and everything and the counselor looked at me and he was like, man, your spirit is really broken. Mm. And when he said it, like I wouldn't have never described myself that way, but when I paid it, but when he said it, it resonated. I used to be a real optimistic person. Dealing with, two, dealing with sickle cell and dealing with pain crisis, and dealing with trips to the hospital, it makes you cynical, it makes you hard, and it makes you not want to get your hopes up, right? Because it's like, well, God, if you didn't answer this, why would I have my expectations up for you to do this? So it was, it was hard. Wow.
1: I feel like probably everyone in the room can relate with this, that sometimes you walk through seasons in life and it feels like God isn't there. Like you're like, God, where, where are you? I don't hear you, do you even care? And sometimes it feels like in those moments, in those seasons, when you're waiting, you're waiting to hear from them, you're waiting for clarity, it can feel like a waiting season is really just a wasted season. And you're like, this is just, what? why am I going through this? There's no purpose. Bria, I know for you, around second grade, you're now living in Georgia, moved from Miami to Georgia, and so you're kind of of age now where things are starting to make sense to you, you're settling in, you're figuring things out, you're asking questions. You're in this completely new new environment, just starting to settle in, but then you receive some really really tough news, and you find out what particularly about your dad.
3: Um, so I got a phone call in the second grade. It was my aunt, my dad's sister, telling me my dad was got sent to prison, and it completely flipped because my dad went from being. I'm, like, a huge daddy's girl, so he went from being, like, my best friend, someone I can just call whenever. When mom's getting on my nerves, I'm like, I'm gonna call my dad. And it went from that happening to not being able to call him. Um, It went from me seeing him ever so often to me not seeing him for years. Um, The first time my dad got locked up when I want to say it was 08 or 06, and I didn't see him again until 2012 when I went to visit him. And it just it just shattered everything because i just didn't know how to function without my dad and i learned pretty quickly how to write letters, how to stamp letters, all these things because that was the only way to communicate with him and it it challenged me a lot cuz i was like why why him? why why, why my best friend?
1: yeah. Bree this wasn't planned but Last summer, you got to go visit your dad. You hadn't seen him in in a few years, and you got to go visit him at the prison where he was down in Florida. And you came back, and and we asked you how how kind of the day was. And you were like, it was awesome. And there's one thing I'll never forget that you said he kept saying, to everyone there. Just tell us about that real quick.
3: Yeah, the other inmates would come like if they had other visitors and he would just come up to everyone he's like, yo, this is my baby girl. And everywhere we walked, he'd be like, yo, this is my baby girl. They could be having a full-blown conversation <laughs> yelling at each other. He's like, wait, 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 this is my baby girl right here. So
6: amazing.
3: And it was just, it was amazing because I hadn't seen him since 2012. And then seeing him in, I guess, 2019 was the time I saw him. And it was just seven years is a lot. And he was just still... Proud of me, of just who I am, and it was
1: it was cool. It's awesome, Bree. Uh, Lt, you get to college, and basically you begin to say yes to everything, which I feel like there's probably like two or three people in the room that can relate to that. Just not being able to say no to things in the season of college, like you're maybe overcommitted. You know, you just yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, I have time for that. Yeah, I'll help out with that. And um, you start to really feel. Anxiety and panic come back in and really, really pick up. Just tell me a little bit more about that, that season of your life.
0: Yeah, so um, late college and then right when I graduated is when it got really intense. And I think it was, you know, build up over time of saying yes to everything and not resting and, you know, all that. And um, Connor and I got engaged and a lot of things were changing and panic attacks started setting in and that was a new thing for me. Like anxiety wasn't necessarily new, but the panic attacks were new and I didn't know what was going on. They scared me and, um, you know, you can't breathe and, um, you feel like, you feel like the world is ending. And, um, and so that was really, really hard and started going to counseling and was just able to trace some of that back and get some words to put around it. But yeah, I just started dealing with that and being able to identify kind of what some of my biggest fears were in my life.
1: Yeah. Peyton, you graduate high school, go to college. And what happens your freshman year of college?
5: Yeah, so um, I went to a really small school in Birmingham called Birmingham Southern. And when I started my college journey, I think I was still having my relationships impacted from what had happened in high school um, with the divorce and going through different um, family things and tensions. Um, And I think had started some of the bad decision-making in high school, but that very quickly uh, came over to college too. And so kind of started down a path that honestly continued to grow more and more as the years went on in college. Um, interestingly, though, my freshman year, the end of my freshman year, um, my dad was diagnosed with colon rectal cancer at stage four. And then also my great-grandmother, his grandmother, who was a major um, Christian figure for me in my life and was very involved in my life. And I'm spoiled that I even had a great grandmother growing up. Um, she also passed away. So it was just a lot of family transition um, and things, you know, started just becoming even more confusing than they already were. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of a snippet of
1: what started. Yeah, so your dad is diagnosed with stage four colon cancer. And then from there, what's his journey like?
5: Yeah, so for the next several years, he um, went through several rounds of chemo and radiation. Um, But as he went through those, he kind of felt like that just really changed who he was in his mind. Um, And he didn't want to do that anymore. And it wasn't that he didn't want to fight anymore, but he um, got to the point where he was kind of looking for alternative ways of um, treating and treating his health. And that was just really a holistic sense. Um, It was interesting going through a lot of that because we were still mending and um, we stayed very close, thankfully, but there was still just a lot of recovery that we had to do with our relationship because um, not only did I feel like he had, you know, broken this relationship with my mom, it was a relationship with our family and the three of us, you know, it was no longer the three of us. It was, you know, me and my mom and him. And so... We were still mending, and so it was interesting kind of walking through that season of life with him. Um, I probably, and part of this was his decision, I think, um, was to not loop me in on necessarily all of the, you know, gruesome details that come along with cancer for anyone that has dealt with that, you know, it's obviously not pretty, um, until I had graduated college um and so at that point then he i, I was a lot more invested and, and closer to that process and what that looked like um but up until that point had not been as invested with it.
1: yeah so your dad for he battles cancer for four and a half mm-hmm. years and then at the end of your college experience or after graduating mm-hmm. passes away right
5: Yes, yeah, so I had graduated college in 2013. And then in September of 2014, um, he did end up passing away. Um, and interestingly, you know, throughout the rest of my college experiences, I'd kind of referred to, I started making very poor choices and bad decisions and living a lifestyle that was very different than what I had grown up with and what I thought I would be living life like um, when I was in college. And um, just almost running away from God in a sense and not necessarily losing my faith altogether, but something where um, I just was chasing other things and I did not care who I was hurting or who it was I was impacting and I was doing what I wanted to do at all times. Um, and I take full ownership of that. I don't think that by any means is a result of just things that were externally happening in my life and I blame it all on that. I take full ownership of it, um, but it was not a fulfilling lifestyle, I'll say that. And um, interestingly, again, as we were, you know, kind of going through this family process of being there for my dad through this, um, I not only saw the strength of my mom who was with us through it, with him through it too, and her true ability to, forgive and have unconditional love and see what that looked like even after a divorce was finalized to see her kind of put that forth for my dad um, but then also to see his dependency on God I mean he he was just deteriorating um, altogether his body his mind everything but he was able to put this full dependence on God um, for really the last several months of his life and it was It was crazy because you think in those moments you're losing all hope, but it almost was helping heal me um, in a lot of ways. And I didn't necessarily feel deserted by God. I think at that point I've understood that even while I was running away, God was chasing me the whole time and it, it just didn't have anything to do with me and do with me fulfilling XYZ to be this XYZ Christian and filling these boxes. Um, he was chasing me that whole time, and so weirdly enough, I feel like it helped heal me. Obviously, there's a lot of grief that still comes with his passing um, and working through that, going to counseling um, with psychologists, with psychiatrists, different people. Um, but yeah, it was an interesting, mm-hmm. interesting turn.
1: Yeah. Well, I know you went to Howard University in DC, played football there towards your end of your junior year. Shout out to Howard. Towards the end of your junior year, Will, things kind of hit rock bottom for you. Just tell me a little bit about that moment.
2: Yeah, yeah, so um, junior year, I'm like balling. (laughs) Not like balling hard, but I'm doing pretty good. Like scored touchdowns against big schools, like kind of building a name around the conference. Um, Last game of the season, we're playing our rivals Hampton. Uh, First touchdown tear my ACL Um, and it was like first five minutes of the game Um, and it just kind of started this process not realizing at the time that I was idolizing football and I think God just used it to show me so football was filling this void for most of my life like started playing football six years old like every year was just football 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 so when it stripped it made me see that there was a void in me so I'm trying to fill the void with a bunch of stuff so um, I almost died during recovery right after the surgery. Um, doctors still don't know what happened, but my body was going through seizures for like three days straight. It would last a couple hours. Recover from that, go back to school, I'm on crutches, like Howard's on a hill. So I was getting swole walking <laughs> around campus. Um, my girlfriend, uh, we start dating. During this process, she was really there for me, but I was just toxic because I didn't know that I had this void. So going to parties, on crutches, didn't care. I'm gonna post it up on the wall, like. (laughs) Um, Start drinking, like, it was just bad. And February, March, April, the the months just start going by and it just gets worse and worse to the point I start smoking more, like, start having sex outside of marriage. And my girlfriend and I lived together at the time and that was just toxic, I wasn't good for her. and I'm just like, yo, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, I'm, I'm trying to find stuff that's wrong in my life. Like, maybe, you know, if I smoke more, I'll be good. Maybe if I get out of this relationship, I'll be better. So October rolls around, and um, my girlfriend and I got into, like, a super stupid argument. But I was just fed up. Like, yo, I don't want to do this anymore. And I call her to the room about 5 o'clock. And she says her piece. And she's like, OK, it's your turn. And I'm like, yo, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, She cries for like two hours. Like, give me another chance, give me another chance. And part of me, knowing now it was probably God, was like, yo, give her another chance. But I'm like, nah, my pride's in the way. I don't want to do this. Um, She leaves. Um, I go to smoke, don't even get high, and just remember laying down on my bed crying. Like, the most tears I had ever cried at that time. Just feeling so alone, feeling like darkness was on me. Like, couldn't move, didn't know how I was going to get out of this. Nobody understood where I was, nobody cared. Coaches, teammates, like, it was just bad. And God just interrupted in that moment. Um, it's hard to wrap words around it. It was just the most comforting, warm, loving feeling I'd ever experienced. Um, it felt like God was like, look, it's going to be okay. But I needed you to see that you didn't need anything but me. Wow. But you also need her, my girlfriend. So I called her back. Yeah, you did. <laughs> I called her back. Um, and it was a mess. So I'm like, oh, I miss you. And uh we're married now. Come on,
6: come on.
2: Yeah, she's a small group leader here yeah, in the living room. Yeah, she's a small group leader, that's yeah. some of y'all leaders. Yeah, yeah. But Amazing. what's funny is like there's this beautiful moment I have with God, but then I also see the severity of God that God doesn't play. So um while we were still together, I was you know, equating that my problems were because of the relationship. So I'm just stepping out like, yo, I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to do what I feel like. And God, we got back together and God was like, yo, you need to tell her or it's never going to work. So in this moment, I, I know God's real. I got my own relationship. But he's like, look, tell your wife or this thing's not going to work. And I tell her and just felt so stupid, like just felt like, what was I doing? What was I thinking? But God's gracious. Like looking at our story from a human perspective, we're not supposed to be married. You know, we're not supposed yeah. to be thriving, but we are. And that's just a testament to God, Amazing. you know. Yeah, that's, thanks for sharing that, Will.
1: Hey, as I kind of wrap it up, can I just say this? I hope that tonight you've seen that everyone on this stage has brokenness in their lives. All of us, to some degree, are still walking through messes. we figured some things out, but a lot of things we're still trying to figure out. Some things have gotten more complicated over time. What I love is that Will, you walk through really unique circumstances, and I, I, I cannot stay seated, I'm sorry, I'm just gonna have to stand up, this is crazy. Will, you walk through some tough, tough circumstances in life, and your parents, both your parents are disabled, you're taking care of them. And here's the awesome thing, is when you finally come alive to the fact that Jesus, you have this hole in your life, and that Jesus is the only one who can fill that hole, And for many of us, it takes a long, long time to figure that out because you're looking in every other area, whether it's alcohol, whether it's drugs, whether it's relationships, whether it's success, whatever it could be and all these things that temporarily fill that hole that you have. But Jesus is the only one who truly fills and when you invite him into that space and when you invite him into your life, he begins to redeem your brokenness and turn it into something beautiful. That's what it means to redeem something, to take it and to turn it into something better. And that's what Jesus does, and so you will, you walk through these unique circumstances with your parents where you're looking out for them from a young age, making sure everything in the family is okay, and now, Years and years later, you're here at the living room, and if y'all ride the shuttles, you see Will at the front doors, welcoming you every single week, making sure everyone is okay, looking out over hundreds of people, making sure you're good. Each week, Will will come, and he'll be like, man, I, I interacted with this person who was here for the first time. I met this person. God used this part of your story early on in your life of how you were always looking out for your family, always making sure everyone's okay, and now here you are at the living room years and years later, and now you're looking out for hundreds of people, making sure everyone's okay, Okay, looking out for the person who maybe needs a conversation, who maybe needs a hug. Lindsay, your anxiety was fueled in large part because you had this fear of losing someone in your life. You get married to Connor, a couple years into your marriage, he gets cancer, he beats it, but then guess what? The cancer comes back again. Connor walks through cancer not once but twice and I watched you walk through these seasons of life and somehow you had peace. Somehow you had comfort, somehow you had hope. Without Jesus, you would have been a mess. Without Jesus, you would have been in the darkest, deepest hole of your life. But because you knew Jesus, you knew the hope giver. You knew the one who brings peace in the middle of a storm, literally. You knew the one who brings comfort. Encounter beats cancer the second time, but in the midst of it, in the midst of the storm, even when it looked like, I don't know how this is gonna turn out, you have peace, you have comfort. Brie. Your story, with your dad, with your family, with all these dynamics, but yet if you know Bree every single week, she's at the first timetable here at the living room, and Bree literally smiles nonstop, like she's always smiling. I could go up to Bree and Bree like, Bree like, uh, I don't know, like, 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 sp- like spit on your shoes, and she's like, that's awesome, thanks for, like, she's so <laughs> joyful all the time. And Bree, knowing your story, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense why you have this joy that just is so contagious to everybody. Do you know why you have this joy? It's because you know the one who gives joy. You know the author of joy. You've met Jesus. Brayden, you told me a couple days ago, we're sitting in my office, I'm like, how's college? You're like, it's good, but it's not what I thought it'd be. You looked at me and you said this to me, I'll never forget this, you said these four words. You said, this season's pretty lonely. I feel pretty alone most of the time. It's been really hard to find community and make friends. What I know to be true is that there are hundreds of people in this room right now that feel the exact same way. You see hundreds if not thousands of people on your campus every single day and yet you've never felt more alone. And you come here on Monday nights and maybe for the only time all week you feel like you can breathe and you feel like you're seen and you're known and you're loved. And Braden, can I just tell you and I wanna tell Anyone in the room that feels the same way, you're, you're known, you're loved, not just by this family here at the living room, but by your heavenly Father. Peyton. you lose your dad, walk through all these tough things, this tough season in college where it seems like you're running from God, but he was never running from you. And now you are a caretaker for all of our guest services volunteers, for so many students, just like when your dad was walking through his final few months of his life, you were a caretaker for him. And to see the way God has redeemed that, and now you're a caretaker for all these people, it's amazing. And Tariq, I'll finish with you, bro. Like, you have some of the most passion, the most passionate energy I know of anyone. And again, it doesn't make sense. Like, both of your kids have sickle cell. As of now, there's no cure. Like, looking forward, so often they're in pain, you can do nothing about it, but, but just hug them, hold them but yet you have so much energy for life, so much passion. Just last week, you're up on the stage preaching your tail off and people in the crowd at the end, you said, does anyone wanna put your faith in Jesus? And at least five people stand, more people than that raised their hand to put their faith in Jesus. Like God's using your passion and your energy to help others find life in him. And here's what I'm trying to get at, I've got brokenness too, is that all of you have a hole that only Jesus can fill. And man, I hope you realize tonight that this isn't some like fairy tale thing. We're not just like, oh Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. No, we really believe that Jesus is the only one who can make the darkness tremble. We really believe that he silences fear. We really do believe that he's the way maker. He's the miracle worker. He's the promise keeper. He is the light in the darkness. So here's what I wanna do tonight as we close. I'd love for all of us just to stand up. And I'd love for you as a family to stand up with us. And I want us to just lock up as one family. Because we really do believe that this family here at the living room is for everyone. And listen, 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 as we wrap up, I'm going to pray us out and then we're going to head out. Here's what I know to be true, is that there's some of you in the room tonight that you're walking through the midst of a storm. And I hope tonight encourage you and remind you that man, this season of your life is not wasted and that God is always at work and that your story matters. So Heavenly Father, thank you for this family. Goodness, thank you for this family, Jesus. It's an honor to get to be a part. I know everyone on this stage, every single week, we just sit in a room with each other and we just look and say, man, we cannot believe we get to do this. We can't believe we get to be a part of something like this and God, I just pray tonight that you breathe life and hope and encouragement into hundreds of people, into every single person in this room, even the leaders in this room, God, that are outside of the season of college. I pray tonight that you remind them that their story matters. You remind them that this season they're walking through, whatever it might be, that it is not a wasted season. And God, you remind them that you are at work, you are always working, So that's who you are. We love you, Jesus, in your mighty name we pray. Amen. Hey, can we-